Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm so grateful to have the honor this morning of giving the first Stavar in our remodeled sanctuary. <laughs> uh, when I first read this week's Torah portion, Tetzaveh, I thought I would have very little to say about it. This Parsha continues last week's instructions for building the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and describes the clothing and anointing process of the priests and their descendants in the temple. All this detailed talk about the Mishkan can seem a little irrelevant in our modern world, but when I read the Parsha alongside Zachor, the special reading we add just before Purim, I came to think there's a lot we can learn about what our tradition has to say about how we remember or push away challenging experiences and the legacies and responsibilities we inherit as Jewish people. In exploring sources for the Stavar Torah, I learned the true meaning of what the classical rabbis say in Pirkei Avot about the Torah, turn it and turn it for everything is in it. Zakor, the name of today's supplementary perm reading, literally translates to you shall remember. In it, God tells the Israelites, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. We're told that this is because Amalek, the Amalek nation, attacked the most vulnerable members of the Israelites as they were weary from fleeing Egypt. At first, this commandment seems like an oxymoron, telling us to obliterate the memory of Amalek, but also not to forget to do this. It's like if I were to tell you right now to not think about elephants. What are you thinking about? <laughs> elephants. It seems strange, too, that Amalek is singled out here among the many other groups who have treated Israel with cruelty. The Torah even commands, you shall not abhor an Egyptian, even though they enslaved and oppressed us for generations. So what makes Amalek so different? And what does it actually mean for us as 21st century Jews to follow this mitzvah? On the surface level, Amalek was an ancient tribe that attacked the Israelites and were commanded to wipe them out in return. We see this in today's Haftorah when King Saul destroys nearly their entire nation. But I think this read is far too simplistic. If this commandment simply applied to an historic tribe, why would our tradition tell us to read this Parsha over and over every year? There are no more literal Amalekites. It would be irrelevant. Scholar John Levinson goes a step further and tells us that Amalek comes to be seen as the archetype of murderous evil standing in for all those who persecute the Jewish people past, present, and future. Even the archetypal villain Haman is said to be descended from Agag, an Amalekite king, which is one reason we read this before Purim. If we take Levinson's claim seriously, the implications for this commandment are unsettling, to say the least. Are we actually to believe that Judaism is asking us to foster hatred, deny all compassion, and repay Amalek's villainy by wiping out all enemies of the Jewish people for all time, destroying everyone who fits into this archetype of murderous evil. We know from our modern scientific understanding of trauma that reinforcing and myopically focusing on this moment of devastation would actually be harmful, not only for our minds and spirits, but also for our bodies, which can manifest the memories of painful emotions in physical ways. As Rabbi Shai Held teaches, this type of thinking can also be extremely dangerous for our communities. He says, in labeling someone an Amalekite and thus raising them to the level of metaphysical evil, we run the risk of giving ourselves license to behave in savage ways in attempting to root out savagery. In the process, we may become the very thing we set out to combat. As the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. 
This isn't just theoretical. On Purim in 1994, Jewish extremist Baruch Goldstein murdered 29 Palestinians and injured over 100 more in what's known as the Hebron Massacre, in part because he understood them to be descendants of Amalek. He took this interpretation of the mitzvah to the very extreme. Recent instances of extremist Israeli settler violence against Palestinian civilians have been motivated by a similar impulse. Other teachers offer answers that I think are more compelling and less potentially violent. The Kedushat Levi, an 18th century Hasidic rabbi, tells us every Jewish person needs to erase the evil part that is concealed in one's heart, that is known by the name Amalek. This evil part is hidden within the heart of all Jews individually and as a collective. Amalek then isn't archetypal evil, but actually the potential for evil inside all human beings. The commandment to not forget then can be interpreted as remembering this potential within ourselves, rather than simply projecting it onto others and giving ourselves justification for committing atrocities of our own. It also frees us from seeing ourselves primarily as the victims of evil and injustice. Nadav Berger, a contemporary Israeli rabbi, offers a complimentary view, writing, Amalek itself signifies the human inability to recognize God's presence in the world. And as a result of our failure to see the presence of God, it is in that way diminished. Rabbi Shefa Gold brings us back uh, to this week's Parsha, Tetzaveh, which opens by setting out the instructions for the Ner Tamid, the eternal light that hangs in the sanctuary. She recognizes this Ner Tamid as a symbol for the light of holiness within each one of us and teaches that it takes constant daily practice to build awareness of this holiness in ourselves and in others. Amalek is every time we are blind holiness in the world. And if we take seriously the idea that we ourselves are holy, it is also when we fail to recognize the holiness of Hashem within ourselves. In this way, Amalek can be considered our shadow self, the worst side of ourselves, both individually and communally. If the Jewish people are challenged to be a light unto the nations, then as Rabbi Francis Natoff puts it, Amalek represents an antithesis to the Jewish nation's mission in the world. So given all this, what does observing this mitzvah of remembering to blot out the memory of Amalek actually look like in practice? We have to simultaneously blot out our potential for evil while remembering the true holy nature of our highest selves. Engaging in mindful awareness of the holiness within ourselves and others every day fulfills our mission as Jews to be a light unto the nations. And this obligation is eternal because the potential for evil within ourselves isn't going away. We read this Parsha each year as an annual reminder of this call because this is not easy work. It's much easier to feel judgmental and righteously angry over all the tragedy and devastation we see in our world every day and fall into wanting to take revenge or obliterate our enemies rather than acting with compassion. Given all this talk about evil, it seems strange that we read this Parsha during Adar, the month of joy, and right before the celebration of Purim. But this seeming contradiction just provides more direction for how we can engage in the work of recognizing the internal paradox of our holiness and potential for evil and of choosing to act from a place of holiness. Some commentators suggest that Simcha, joy, is the antidote to Amalek. But I don't think this means a good vibes only, toxic positivity kind of joy, so ubiquitous on social media, that insists we reject or distract ourselves from any pain or negativity we experience. Rather, as the teacher Dory Midnight writes, quote, Jewish tradition compels us to practice joy even in, perhaps especially in, the most dire and grim times. This joy is not about denying or avoiding pain or discomfort, but being present and alive to it, letting it change us and widen our capacity for all aliveness 
making even more space for joy to flow through. Joy as a practice and a discipline, end quote. We must feel our feelings of sorrow and also embrace the full depths of our joys without succumbing to fear of some archetypal evil or projecting it onto others. How do we do this? Midnight suggests, quote, we do this with friendship, our art, our bodies, alone and together in small daily pleasures and rituals and in big shatterings and breakthroughs, end quote. All those detailed directions for the Mishkan and the priest's robes in the past two parshas model this for us. In the middle of the desert and in the throes of deep uncertainty about when they will reach the promised land, the Israelites use precious wood, stones, metals, oils, and incense as a way of beautifying their rituals and spaces, imbuing them with holiness through their disciplined care and creation. We can learn from this by finding ways to recognize or create beauty in our own lives and relationships, which we've done here with our beautiful new sanctuary and Torah table. Rather than seeing these parshas as just a list of instructions that's irrelevant in our modern world, we can see them as our inheritance as Jewish people, as guidance for how to act from a place of eternal light and build our own practices of finding beauty and joy in a broken world. The Purim story offers a cautionary tale about what the consequences might be if we turn away from this work and forget both the capacity for evil and for true holiness within ourselves and others. At the end of Megillat Esther, the Jews of Shushan celebrate their victory over Haman, but instead of feeling their feelings of fear or anger or even joy, they carry out a bloody battle in which more than 75,000 people lose their lives. But our tradition also tells us we don't have to succumb to perpetual victimhood or vengeance. The commandment to remember not to forget isn't simply about fomenting hatred or genocide towards those who oppress us. Instead, we're called to sit with the pain of the evil that is present in our world and see it as a reflection of the capacity for evil within ourselves. We must feel the full range of our feelings and emotions, accept our shadow sides, the Amalek within us, and remember our responsibility to find and create holiness, God's presence in ourselves and others, to act as Ner Tamid, an eternal light. This is the mitzvah of Parshat Zephor, and this is our inheritance as Jewish people. Thank you, and Shabbat Shalom. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.